0: A number of years ago, my wife and I were in Rome and as we looked out across the ancient city one day, we saw the Colosseum in the distance and the phrase that came to my mind was ancient ruin and that is what we human beings are. We are a kind of... well. What ancient, not necessarily, but the phrase that came to mind was magnificent ruin, just to be more precise, magnificent ruin. And that is what we human beings are. We are a magnificent ruin. We're magnificent because we've been made in the image of God. We possess a kind of core goodness. But we are also ruined because of our sin and our shame. We're currently in a sermon series right now on exploring what it means to live from our truest self, that is, the part of us that is made in God's image, and how we can live that way as we are healed from our toxic shame. We're following some of the themes of a new book that I've written called, Now I Become Myself, How Deep Grace Heals Our Shame and Restores Our True Self. Now part of the reason why we feel shame, we feel like we're not quite enough, part of the reason we feel flawed is because of our sin. The Bible defines sin as missing God's ideal mark for us. And when we sense that we have missed God's ideal, whether at a conscious or subconscious level, we can feel shame. We can feel a sense that we are not worthy. Brene Brown, the well known social scientist, defines shame as quote, an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame, according to Brene Brown, is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. According to Brene Brown, what is the answer to shame? It is believing that we are worthy, believing that we are worthy. Now, I love Brene Brown's teachings, deeply appreciate them, but insofar as I can tell, she doesn't provide a robust foundation, a robust reason as to why we human beings are in fact truly worthy. According to the well-known professor of bioethics at Princeton, Peter Singer, And let me be clear, this is his idea, not mine. He has said that an adult cow may have more value than a baby human being because an adult cow has more to offer the world in practical terms than a human baby. Again, that's Singer's idea, not mine. (laughs) Just to be clear. Now if we are just the products as as human beings of blind chance evolutionary forces, it is hard to establish with any degree of certainty that we human beings are worthy of honor. But if there is a God, and as the scriptures affirm, if that God loves us, and if as Jack Miller, one of my former teachers, has said, we are, on the one hand, far more sinful and flawed than we ever dared imagine, but we are also far more loved than we ever dared hope, that is, loved by our Creator. Then we, in fact, are worthy. If we were created by God, and are loved by God, and cherished by God, then we have a basis for believing that we are, in fact, worthy. What's more, when we offer our lives to God, we are forgiven our sins. God has mercy on us, as we just sang about. And our our sins are washed away. We are given a clean slate. And we are seen in God's eyes as perfect. This is really important because when we understand how God sees us as perfect, we can avoid what psychologists call the the what-the-hell effect. I'm not not making this up. Psychologists actually have um, something they describe as the the what-the-hell effect. So let's say you're trying to cut out processed sugars from, from from your diet, and you find yourself tired or lonely or really hungry and you realize that there is chocolate cake in your fridge and you say to yourself I'm gonna I'm gonna have a piece by the way nothing's sinful with having a piece of chocolate cake okay (laughs) let me be clear about that you you eat the chocolate cake it tastes good but then afterwards you feel all of this regret you say how could I have broken my resolution so easily and you feel all the shame and you say to yourself ah what the hell I'm a loser when it comes to keeping my resolutions anyway. I'll have another piece of chocolate cake. (laughs) And then you feel all of this shame and and regret. And you say, I I feel so bad about myself. I need to do something that will make me feel better. And so you have a third piece of chocolate cake. (laughs) And a fourth and so on. You know, when we do something that initially lifts us up and then causes us to feel shame, it's very common for us to turn to the very thing for comfort that will ultimately bring us down because of this what the hell effect phenomenon. It can, it can be true of our eating choices. If we're trying to cut back on alcohol, it can be true of alcohol or cut out alcohol. It can be true of things like accessing pornography. Uh, we feel bad about doing something and then we look to something for comfort and we turn to the very thing that made us feel bad. In the first place. When we recognize how deeply we are loved by God. That God has had mercy on us. And that God sees us as perfect. We can avoid the shame spiral of the what the hell effect. And so understanding that God has created us. That God loves us. That God sees us as perfect. Can go a long way in healing us of our toxic shame of our sense that we are not enough. But in our actual day-to-day experience, even though we are seen by God as perfect, we can experience ourselves as being sinful. Uh, We can be self-centered, self-absorbed. We can harbor bitterness. We can become overly attached to success or our reputation. And so part of the way that we move further along the path of living from our truest self and free from shame is growing in our actual experience of holiness or wholeness. And by holiness and wholeness, I don't mean having a hyper-focus on external rules, which can actually promote more shame or just checking off a bunch of boxes. I'm referring to God restoring our original glory to us as human beings. God restoring our beauty to us as human beings. In this series, we've looked at how the most powerful way to grow free of toxic shame is to deeply experience God's love for us. And the most powerful way to be inspired toward a life of holiness and wholeness is to experience and to recognize God's love and mercy toward us. In an important passage in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May God speak to us through this, his inspired word. What the Apostle Paul here is saying is, recognize God's mercy to you. Know that the God who is invisible became visible. God became one of us, a human being, it's given the name Jesus, lived a perfect life, and then voluntarily laid his life down on a cross, taking on our sins so that we could be forgiven, taking on our shame so that we could be free from it. And when you recognize how loving and merciful God has been to you, respond by offering every part of yourself to God as a living sacrifice, inviting God to restore your ruin, to renew your magnificence, to make you whole. Because of my Japanese ancestry, a new friend of mine from California encouraged me to consider reading a book called Facing the Mountain by Daniel James Brown. It's a book that describes the contribution that Japanese American soldiers made to the World War II effort. Now, in the United States, as was true in Canada, at the beginning of the war, people of Japanese origin were detained in concentration camps. And young men were not allowed to enlist in the military because the the military leadership thought that uh, people of Japanese origin might start out with the Allied forces but then switch over and start fighting for the enemy. But as the war progressed and as there was a great need for more soldiers on the front line, Japanese Americans and Canadians were actively recruited to join the war effort as soldiers. And in one memorable scene in Daniel James Brown's book, Facing the Mountain, he described how Japanese soldiers, Japanese um, uh, soldiers of Japanese origin had been tapped to participate in a very dangerous mission. In Italy, they had been asked to scale a mountain and engage Nazi soldiers who vastly outnumbered them and outarmed them. And as they were climbing this mountain, they were facing intense gunfire and grenades, which, which got, got worse as they reached to close to the summit. And when they were about 30 yards from the, the, the top of the mountain, The Japanese-American soldiers were facing intense, intense um, shelling, and so they were seeking shelter in in some of the the, the nearby um, craters on the side of the mountain. One soldier named Munamori kept moving up the mountain, and when he was about 15 yards from the top, hit his targets, and then Sadao Munamori made his way toward a crater where his fellow soldiers, Jimmy Oda and Akira Shisoda, were, were, were taking shelter. And as he was moving toward the crater, an unexploded grenade bounced off his helmet, and without hesitating, Munemori dove on the, on the unexploded grenade, covered it with his body, and it exploded Instantly killing him, but saving the lives of Jimmy Oda and Akira Shishioda. If I had been in that crater with Oda and Shishioda, um, I don't know exactly what I would have experienced, but I think that after the shock wore off of the situation, I would have felt incredibly grateful that someone had laid down their life for me. And I think that I would want to live well in light of the sacrifice made on my behalf. And the Apostle Paul is saying, when you consider what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, that he's laid down his life on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be freed of your shame... Out of gratitude, respond by giving every part of yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Invite God to transform you, to restore your ruin, to renew your magnificence. Now, our being made into a magnificent masterpiece isn't a pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of effort. It's not a self-improvement project. The late psychologist John Bradshaw has said, when we don't like a part of ourselves, we will try to create a different self, a false self a self that might be very nice or a self that might be very successful or very good at keeping the rules. This is not moving toward greater holiness as Paul describes. Becoming holy isn't about trying to create this separate self on our own, but becoming holy is a process where we allow God to transform us, to make us new, to restore Our magnificence. When Sakiko and I were in Rome, we also visited the Sistine Chapel. In 1512, Michelangelo completed his great masterpiece, the the frescoes, the paintings on the Sistine Chapel. But back in 1512, the only way to light the chapel, of course, was through the use of candles. And after 400 more than 400 years of, of smoke rising from those candles, soot and grime. The brilliant frescoes became obscured. And critics and others assumed that because the paintings seemed dark, because they, were, they didn't fully appreciate that they were covered with grime and, and soot and dust, that Michelangelo's use of color was... Was, was, was mediocre, that his use of color was, was too dark, too dull. And then between 1984 and 1989, a group of restorative artists began to restore the frescoes on the Sistine Chapel, revealing that the, the paintings had colors like cherry blossom pink, sunny yellow, apple green, sky blue. And when we place ourselves wholly in God's hands, God restores to us our original beauty, our original glory. This isn't something that we do, but something that God does in us. The 12 steps are not explicitly Christian per se, but they, they map on to um, Christian ideas. One of the 12 steps is we admitted we were powerless over, be it alcohol, we could substitute something else, powerless over our attachment to achievement, pleasure, possessions, reputation, whatever. And then in the 12 steps... People say we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. The process of growing toward holiness isn't something that that, that we produce on our own, but we invite God to produce in our lives as we ask Him to remove our defects of character, to remove our shortcomings as we offer each part of our lives to God. Realizing that it is only God who can change me, and, and Kevin, or, um, Craig mentioned his own competitive nature, uh, I have been praying something called the Litany of Humility by Thomas Akempis, where Akempis prays and invites us to pray. From the desire to be esteemed, Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire to be honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being criticized, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. As we anticipate our National Day of Truth and Reconciliation... It may be, as we mentioned earlier in the service, that we become more conscious of some of the injustices that have been perpetrated against our indigenous hosts by settlers. It may be that we become more aware of the the dangers of having attitudes of cultural or racial superiority. And so perhaps we can pray the the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi as he prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is darkness, let me sow light. Where there is sadness, let me sow joy. About a week and a half ago, I was in in Portland for a pastor's gathering. And one of our hosts A pastor in his 30s named Tyler Statton was making the observation that in our society, it seems like all the celebrities are young in the first half of life or desperately trying to remain young. And they've had so much work done on them in some cases that when they get older, it's hard to even recognize them as as human beings. Tyler shared that uh, there are four saints that he would like to be like. Two are dead, uh, two are living, but they're all old. And each morning, Tyler says he will kneel and pray and ask that God would make him like these four saints whose characteristics he wants to embody. And he prays that Across the hours of his day, across the minutes of his day, God would form him into this person. And Tyler, who I believe is in his thirties, also said that he hopes that one day as he hobbles into old age, uh, that he would become like these, the, these saints, even as he prays toward being transformed in their likeness. And similarly, each morning after a time of silence, I will pray that God would birth certain characteristics in me, certain qualities, love, wisdom, contentment, courage. And I pray that as I grow into older age that I would more and more embody these qualities. Many of you are young, but let me ask you this question. Do you have a vision for who you want to become by God's grace as you get older, as you eventually move into old age, God willing? And could you pray into that each day? You are a magnificent ruin. But if you put yourself wholly in God's hands, God will restore your ruin and morph your magnificence into a masterpiece. For you are a masterpiece in the making. And that is nothing to be ashamed of. Let's pray together. Do you have a vision, a deep desire to become a certain kind of person by the grace of God? Is there a quality of character that you would like to embody? Just take a moment to think about that. And I invite you to pray. God, make me like, and then fill in the blank. Help me to reflect and then fill in the blank. And I invite you to pray this every day. As God shapes you into the masterpiece of his making. That you would be transformed and made more like Jesus. The one who gave his life for you. May it be so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.